0: Good morning. How many of you are masters, watchers? Oh, there's a few holy ones among us who are here instead of watching the end. Bless you, brother. Wow. I don't know, you want to come up here and do this instead? I mean... You probably have more to say. It's awesome. Good. Um, so I'm so glad you're here today. Um We're going to take a little bit of break. If you've been kind of here for the last couple of weeks, um, we've been working through Genesis and looking at the life of Abram and how God has been working in his life. We're taking a bit of a break from that now for the next couple of weeks um, for Palm Sunday, which is today, and Easter Sunday next week. We're going to be looking at more Easter-themed kinds of things. So we'll find ourselves today in Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 28 to 40. So if you want to turn there, that's great. Um, And then we'll get back to Abram uh, later on. So we'll just you know throw a few curveballs here and there. Um, if, if you've spent, if you would spend any time in my home, one of the consistent um, refrains in my home is, uh, who, who, "Who makes the rules?" You know, like I, I I tell my son, "Hey, you need to help clean out the dishwasher." And I'm amazed at how gumby they can get, like it's like they bend backwards as if like they're just gonna snap in half. So, oh my goodness, right? Like, oh, but why? Like, Lincoln, who makes the rules? You do, dad. <laughs> but but you, know, you know what? Kids are also really good at, at, at finding out when you don't follow your own rules, right? when you're like, you can't have sweets after dinner because it's bedtime, or, you know, for my four-year-old, he's, you know, we want to control juice consumption before bed, right? But if I'm walking around with a cup of juice, it's it's inevitable. Um, Dad, the rule is... (coughs) And I have to try and explain to them, well, okay, look. There's this thing called authority. I have it. There's also this thing called autonomy, which I have, too. I get to change the rules when I want, for who I want, how I want. It's amazing! And when you're a grown-up, you'll get to, too. Now, the problem is, is that I'm not a perfect dad, and so sometimes I change the rules when I ought not to, and sometimes I enforce rules I ought not to enforce, and I need to seek forgiveness. But the rule does actually apply quite nicely, is that we need authority, and we need autonomy. This applies in all areas of life. So if you would engage in a a mental uh, conversation with somebody around um, ideas on creation, and how the earth came to be, and where it is that we came from, and how it is that we got to this point you could get stuck in an argument about science and genetic code and how things work on that side or you know molecular theory and how that works on that side or you know you could get into philosophy on like okay well how do you have something without something and and things like that and and the actual the deeper questions the back room questions aren't about where what science says and what philosophy says but the question is who has authority who which Discipline actually has authority to speak into this. Which one supersedes the other? Who has to come into submission under the other? And and, and our, our culture says that ultimate authority and ultimate autonomy lies in you and in me. It's not external. It's not out there. It's actually... Inside The modern age says things like you need to learn to honor and respect yourself. You need to treasure the knowledge and wisdom that is within you. You need to live in accordance with your highest truth by connecting with that inner wisdom. And then you need to express yourself according to your highest moral values. So it's not about what others think, it's not about what uh, the world thinks, it's not about somebody else speaking into your life, it's about you, what you think, where you come from, where your skills and where your convictions lie. Now the, the reality is, is that when we start to apply this kind of philosophy, this kind of moral framework into the world, it really turns disastrous. As, as soon as you like go onto social media, this framework doesn't work because here I go with my moral compass and my moral ideas and I write a 140 character statement and inevitably there's going to be a thousand people that say you're dumb why do you think that that's stupid and they uh, they appeal to an authority outside of themselves. But culturally, we all operate as if I determine what is right and good and should be moving towards. And then I operate my life that way. And there's clearly conflict along the way. The the reality, though, is that the scriptures have a completely different story. Their story indicates that Christ, that Jesus is the authority and he has autonomy in all that happens. And we find that actually in our passage here, what's known as the triumphal entry in Luke 19. Now, um, this story is actually written in all four of the Gospels, and so it, actually, it holds weight in that, in that all four authors, as they were independently writing, thought to themselves, this is this is This is crucial. It's crucial that people understand what's, what's happening here. And they came at it from a little bit different angles, and some have different details and things like that. But they all thought that it was worth spending time talking about this entry. So let's read together Luke 19, 28 to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, "'Why are you untying this colt?' And they said, "'The Lord has need of it.' And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, or as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice." For all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I I think in this passage we see three things. We see the authority of Christ, we see his autonomy, and we also see his adoration. So let's look at those together. See, when we read this story in our 21st century culture, it seems a little odd that people would start saying these grand things about a man when he gets on a donkey, like, it just, it just seems weird if Matt kind of decided one day that he was going to stand out there and, you know, get on a donkey and come down towards the pulpit on the donkey, you would think, um, what happened to Pastor Matt? Not, woo, let's worship, this is awesome, right? We don't, we don't think that. This, this act of Jesus getting the donkey and sitting on it was so clear to the Jewish people. And, and it starts way back at Passover, the first Passover, in where God delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt and on the way out, the last plague, he has them slaughter a lamb, put its blood over the doorposts to show that they were God's, and then God passes over Them and doesn't visit judgment upon them and delivers them from Egypt and they come out and from that day forward on the 14th day of the first month they celebrated every year remembering the deliverance of God and looking forward to what God had promised year after year whether in good times or in bad they remembered what God did they would tell their children what God did on this day Your forefathers were in slavery, and you wouldn't believe what happened. God did this amazing work, and he set us free. And even when they would go into slavery, into exile, when Babylon or Assyria would come in, they would sit and they would think god has delivered us before he will deliver us again and over their history they they wrote these psalms psalms 113 through 118 called the hallel psalms in where they remember what god did and they look forward to what god would do and here at the beginning of passover when expectations are high when they're remembering that god provides a way and god will provide a messiah jesus says get me a donkey now okay that's silly why would you get a donkey well if you would go back and you would read kind of first kings chapter 1 you would start to get a little bit of a jewish picture of why it was important you see the first king in israel was saul and then God anointed David as king. And David really expanded the kingdom of Israel. He was a man of war and he made the boundaries and brought peace to the land. And then after him came Solomon. And when David was in the end of his life, he commissioned the prophet Nathan and the high priest Zadok to take his son Solomon, place him on a donkey, drive or ride him into the city and anoint him as king. Solomon, A king of peace. A king who would bring the temple of God to Jerusalem and build it there so God could live among them. You see, special kings come on donkeys. Not just any kings. But more so than that, we have a lesser known king, Jehu. How many know Jehu here? Uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've. Second Kings chapter 9. He is anointed king, and the people cry, Long live King Jehu! and they throw their cloaks down so that he can walk upon them. Like, okay, fine. But this, this is the king. This is the king who destroys Jezebel. And that, and that for Israel was a significant piece. You see, Jezebel married into the royal family with King Ahab, who was a terrible king, and she had influence on Ahab, and they killed most of the prophets in Israel, and she brought in a bunch of Baal worship and Asherah worship, and she was known as this figurehead for oppression, spiritual oppression on the people of Israel. To the point where in Revelation chapter 2, the author refers back and says, why are you listening to Jezebel? She is a false prophet. She's leading you astray from God. This King Jehu, the one who walked on those cloaks, was the one to crush her and rid Israel of that oppression. And so, as Jesus is coming up to Bethany and he says, Go get a donkey, the people are, their ears go up. Oh, 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 oh okay, let, let's, let's get that donkey. And then they put their cloaks on top and Jesus sits down and they start putting their cloaks down and it just, it comes out of them, this praise that they, they cannot help. And and and, and it, they're just carried away by by this glorious kind of like, oh, expectancy of like now the inauguration of the of the king is coming. And, and they're thinking about Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And they're thinking, it's it? This is it? Jesus is finally going to take his spot. We've seen him do great things. He's finally going to become king. He's going to become the Messiah we've been waiting for. It's Passover. It's perfect. This is exactly it. And Jesus lets them. Not only that, Mark and Matthew kind of have this uh, detail where they start laying branches down, these palm branches. And at this point in time, that those those branches were, were a sign of victory, a sign of a sign of national pride, and it was because of the victory that happened in 164 B.C. And you can read about it in Maccabees, Second Maccabees, Chapter Ten, where Judah. Maccabeus takes over the city and they cleanse the temple and they lay these palm branches down to signify victory and he walks on them. And so the people are so excited, they just start laying palm branches down saying, the victory is coming. We have our king. This is the king. And uncharacteristically, Jesus allows it. If if you read through the gospels, what you discover is that Jesus never Allowed his name to be praised until this point. In Luke chapter 4, when he he, um, casts out some demons, there's two circumstances. And the demon, as he comes out, says, I know who you are, son of man. I know who you are. Jesus says, be quiet. And again, demons come out and say, we know who you are. And he says, be quiet. And when a man is healed of leprosy, he says, shh. Go show the priest that you're clean, but shh. But here it's different. Here, Jesus gets on the donkey. He declares, I am that king. I am the Messiah that you have been waiting for i will accept the praise of psalm 119 blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord that that eschatological hope found there that end times messiah hope i will accept that praise from my followers right now because i am that king see there was no question as the people who followed him, that he was declaring, I am king. It would be as plain as if we heard a, a, locom- or a commotion on the roof and we ran outside and looked up and saw eight reindeer, a sled with a large guy with a red suit and a big white beard and a red hat on. Like, oh, it's Santa. It, it, it just is. Nobody was questioning what Jesus was doing here to the point where the religious leaders are saying, "Hey, hey, hey! Can, can you, can you? Shh! Tell your disciples to stop. This is inappropriate." But Jesus allows it, saying, "I have all authority. I am the King. I am the awaited Messiah." I am what you've been waiting for. But you see, the people had it a bit wrong. They thought Jesus was coming as a nationalistic king. Retake Israel, make Israel great again, drive out the Romans. Here we go with the next revolt. We will drive the Romans out and show them that our God is great and we will start our own kingdom again. But you see, Jesus also not only has authority, he also has autonomy. He says, no, 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 no. That's not the kingdom I'm bringing. We kind of see his autonomy in two ways. First, it's an autonomy of timing. He doesn't acquiesce, he doesn't give in to anybody else's timing. There were Passovers before this. He could have rode a donkey into Jerusalem before this point. But he chose now. See, in John chapter 6, we have... um, Jesus feeding the 5,000, this, this famous story of having a few loaves and a few fish, and he having them and breaking them and feeding all 5,000 people. And the end of that story says that the people wanted to make him king. This man teaches with authority and he does great things among us. Let's make him king. See, the people were there a long time ago. But Jesus slinks off on his own and says, no, 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 now's not the time. I am king, I will be king, but not on your timeline, on mine. From from the beginning of Luke chapter 19, we find that Jesus comes from Jericho. Now if you know anything about kind of the, the terrain, Jericho sits at the lowest point on earth, it's like 250 meters below sea level. And the top of the Mount of Olives, about where Bethany sits, is about 850 meters above sea level. So he made a 17-mile, so from here to Abbotsford journey with a one-kilometer elevation climb. Why did he choose to get a donkey at the last two miles? Like if it's me, I'm like I'm getting in the car, right? Like he's walk. Like why? It's a long way uphill. Jesus knows what's coming. I should gather my energy, don't you think? Maybe I sit on the donkey from here. No, no, no. He waits until Bethany. Bethany, where he raised Lazarus from the dead. Where people would remember as they came to the city, you know what? I have seen nothing like this before. I remember That Jesus walked up to a tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And a man I knew was dead walked out. And it's at that point that Jesus says, bring me a donkey. See, he has autonomy over the timing of his declaration of himself as king. But he also has autonomy in defining what a king and kingdom look like. The donkey is not a noble steed. You don't take over cities by getting on a donkey. That's a merchant's vessel. That's a, a beast of burden. That's a creature of peace. He is not sitting on the donkey saying, I'm coming into Jerusalem to take Jerusalem as you people want me to take Jerusalem. No, no, no. I'm coming as a king of peace. This donkey is bearing a burden that I will also bear. This kingdom that I am setting up is an upside down kingdom. It does not look like the kingdom of Rome. It does not look like the kingdom of America. It is different. The king serves. The king is crushed. The king is punished. And he was very clear about this. When he's in front of Pilate being tried... He says, My kingdom is not of this world. I am a king, but it's not of this world. I'm not making a nation, I'm not taking Jerusalem back. It's different. And the disciples should have gotten this three times, Jesus, as he's moving towards Jerusalem, as he's walking up this hill towards Bethany. He actually says in, in uh, Luke 18, 31 to 34, and taking the 12 aside, at some point along this journey as they're moving up, he says to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And right, right now, the disciples are like, yes. It's time. We are going to take it back. Watch out, Romans. Have you seen what this guy can do? He walks on water. He raised people from the dead. He makes things happen. Have you ever heard somebody teach like this? Watch out, Pilate. You think you have power? Here we come, brandishing their swords. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. You see, not only does Jesus have the authority to say that I am king, I am who. We've been waiting for. I am the answer to the problem. He also has autonomy to say what that answer is and what it looks like. See, when he calls his disciples, it's not to victory. It's to self-sacrifice. Pick up your cross and follow me. Die to self and follow me. Lose your life and you will gain it. Keep your life and you will lose it. The king defines what the kingdom looks like. He has absolute authority and absolute autonomy to define what this kingdom looks like. And he deserves absolute adoration. See, it's it's popular to say that, like, Oh, the, the, the people who are saying Hosanna and blessing the king today on Friday will say um, crucify him. But the, the reality is, is these, are, these are two mostly distinct crowds. You see, Passover was a time where everybody from around would come in. Jerusalem at the time held between forty to 60,000 people. And when Passover came, it would get up to 200, 240,000, six times the amount of people would enter the city. And these people, these people have been following Jesus around, seeing his miracles, watching his teachings. They are his disciples. And in Mark chapter 15, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's a group of women standing there and it says in the end, these women were the ones that came up with him to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Not everybody that today is is praising this, this Jesus, this king, not everybody who's saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord is on Friday saying crucify him. Some of them recognize that Christ is king. And they stand in horror on Good Friday. But the Pharisees don't like this. In verse 39 and 40, they say, "And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." And he answered, "I tell you, if they, these were silent, the very stones would cry out." He, Jesus is saying, you, uh, you, you're, "You're foolish see Pharisees your, your challenge here is you're, you're either thinking look I don't like what you stand for I don't like what you're teaching I mean you're, you're pushing the boundaries on what, what it looks like to live on Sabbath you, you heal people on Sabbath when we're not supposed to do any work you're kind of pushing the boundaries of the law you're, you're claiming yourself as God I mean you, you said before Abraham was I am you, you don't say that that's wrong you can't do that. I don't like who you are, Jesus. But, but, you know what? Let's not worry about that. The Romans are over there. And I'm, I'm a bit concerned that my, my spot, my power, is going to be taken because of these, these disciples calling you king. The Romans are going to come and crush us. And what we have here that's good, we don't want. We don't want that taken away. So, so Jesus... Shut them up. And, and his response is, oh, oh foolish Pharisees, you, you don't understand. You don't understand that all of creation is made for my adoration. That if these men and women stop praising my name, the very rocks will cry out for me. But all of creation, the stars in the sky, the mountains that we see, are all pointing towards me and praising me and for my glory, and are there because of my strength and my power. You think that you can stop these disciples? No, no, it's the other way around. You're on the wrong side of this. All of creation, all of history, is made for my glory. And I rightfully deserve that glory as king of kings. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 to 11 is kind of the conclusion of this summary that Paul makes. Of Jesus coming down, being with God and one with God and not considering that to be something to be held on to. And he comes and becomes one of us. Like just, just a mere human being. And then not only that, he gets humbled to death on a cross He's buried. He raises again. And then he's, seat, he's seated at the right hand of God. And this is what it says in verse 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus' praise, Jesus' glory, Jesus' adoration is not optional. He is king. The very creation that he makes... And sustains, cries out to him in praise of who he is and what he has accomplished. The question is, will you join creation or will you rebel? Will you bend a knee to the king of kings or will you stand in opposition? There is no middle ground. Jesus on this Palm Sunday is saying, I am king. Now choose this day who you will serve. And he proved it. Every year we stand and remember what Christ did on Easter. We remember that we don't serve a God who died on a cross and was buried and that was the end. We remember that he conquered death and now sits at the right hand of God, ruling over all things. That everything that he taught, everything that he did, everything that he exemplified, the words that he spoke, the miracles that he did were true and pointed to God himself as king of kings and lord of lords. That the exclamation point of history happened when a man who should be dead stood in front of people and said, I forgive you. And I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God and I will come back again one day. we remember Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords, who defines what is good, who defines what is right, who defines what the kingdom looks like and how we live in it, defines what our world looks like and how then we should reach out to them. Now, I'm I'm aware that but really, I, I think there sits in this room probably three different kinds of people. There are those who are, who are, who are trying to um, squish their inner Mennonite and just say, amen. amen. Right? Yeah, yeah. I know there's a few of you out there. Let the Pentecostal out. It's okay every once in a while. Oh, yeah, there. That was Mennonite. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I love you, though. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) The second group of people, though, are those who really like Jesus and what he says and some of the things that he does, and it's just a nice ornament on the fireplace, or it's a sticker on the back of the car, or an emblem hanging from the rearview mirror, or a hat, but man, if I get behind a slowpoke, forget that sticker. If life doesn't go how I want it to go, forget this God. I'm moving to the next one. I'll just take him off my shelf and I'll put him in a drawer until it's convenient again. And then there's a third group. Really, those. Those who sit here and think, yeah, okay. Either I've heard this a thousand times or meh. Can I... There, Jesus leaves no gray area. He really, he really doesn't. If you sit here kind of skeptical Arms crossed, remembering the hurt that had come from a church in the past or from a family member who claimed the name of Christ. If if you sit here, crossed armed because you're skeptical about some philosophical minutia of some kind or some scientific discovery along the way, um, can I can I can I tell you that that Jesus does not give gray area. If what he says is, you better know. You better be certain. Because he says, I'm, I'm the king. And I define what that looks like. And everything praises me. And so if you're not, that makes you my enemy. And quite frankly, As terrible as this might sound you're then dumber than bricks now I I don't say that lightly okay so I did say that lightly last year at apologetics conference um, I was I was having a conversation with one of the young adults here and the, the, the speaker was so was so like eloquent and intelligent I was just surprised at where they were drawing information from and and like it was incredible and I was like man it's so it's so wonderful to like have this intelligent person speak um, so plainly so that someone is dumb as bricks. And I just kind of went like this. And this guy was standing right here, dumb as bricks. And he looked at me like, this was like, I'm a few months on the job. And he was like, what kind of pastor are you? <laughs> calling me dumb as bricks. But, but look, I, I, don't, I don't say that in some sort of derogatory manner. I say that here, the rocks understand it. The rocks get it. And if you, if you don't, that puts you as not understanding what the rocks do. Jesus' call on you is look, look at what I've done, look at my life, look at my ministry, look at my teaching and evaluate me on me and I guarantee you, you will come to exactly the same conclusion that I am king. So can I encourage you to not sit in your doubt, to not sit in your skepticism, to not sit in your hurt, but look at the person of Jesus and his teachings and see if what he says is not true. See if what he claims is not true. Suspend so your doubt and your hurt and see if Jesus has something to say. Because I think he does. I know he does. And if he is king of kings, he will have an answer for your doubt, he will have an answer for your skepticism, and he will have an answer for your pain. But, but secondly, there are those in this room who have Jesus as an ornament. And can I, can I, can I give you a warning? That that's, that's not an option. You are either a bended knee kind of Christian or you aren't a Christian. You either bend your will and your life and your stuff and your family and your future to Christ or you don't. He is not a genie in a bottle that will help you get rich or help you with your disease, or help you with your family strife. He can, he will, he does, but on his terms. He is not an ornament to put on your fireplace. He is not a sticker to put on the back of your car. He is a king to bend a knee to. Finally, Brothers and sisters, those who are squelching, their inner Mennonite, their, their inner Mennonite, let this be an encouragement to you that you serve a king who has all things in his hands. Those kids that you are praying for that don't know Jesus, He has them in his hands. That cancer, you don't know what's going to have, what's going to happen. He has that in his hands. The job situation, the anxiety in you, the worry that you so easily want to move towards. He has it. He owns it. He rules over it. And he has promised that one day he will make all things new. My my brother walked away from the faith many years ago. Just after my mom passed away, so about twenty years ago, hasn't been back since. He uh, just doesn't like Jesus. And man, we've been praying for him. Try and engage in such a such a such a loving, kind of winsome way. You got you got to come back. You got to see this King. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to bow his knee, and, 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 and in my heart, in my mind, I just think this is, this is so futile. 20, 20 years. My, my grandfather uh, left my grandmother like 30 years ago did his own thing, kind of went on his own wayward path, like really just did a lot of terrible, terrible stuff, and he never was involved in our family. A few months ago, uh, we found out that he was terminally ill, and my unbelieving brother goes to see him. My brother walks, walks into the room, and my opa, first thing he says is, Do you know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. I wasted my life thinking that I had control, that I had authority, that I had autonomy, that I could do what I wanted to do and what I've come to realize in my old age at this frail state is that I made the biggest mistake of my life and I did not trust Jesus as king. You want to know what? Oh, that was such an encouragement to me that it's not about me, but the king of kings has my brother in his hands. What an encouragement that is to us who follow him. That as we leave these doors and move into the muck and mire of life, that we have a king who sits over it all. Who paid our penalty and and is standing before God praying for us. Oh, friends, walk in that glory. Remember it this week as we move towards the cross and remember what Jesus did for us, reconciling us to God. Remember that we have an advocate and let your heart sing. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. Would you grant us uh, just a vision of your your glory, of your rule, of your reign? Would we be... Would we easily find ourselves bending our knee? Would our lives reflect your kingdom? Would we hail you as king? Would you work in our hearts today, I pray? And Father, would would you just build in us a hope of a future and where you will reign forever and ever never. ever. In Jesus' name, amen.